Hello, and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the Global Specialist Risk Consultancy. I'm Claudine Fry. And I'm Charles Hecker. And this is the podcast where we try to explain what's going on in the world and what it means for business. We're talking Germany today for our first podcast of 2022. It's a number of months now since the elections which brought to an end 16 years of Angela Merkel and an extraordinary era in German history. Claudine, the entire notion of political transition is very much front of brain these days. The United States is still investigating its own political transition of last year. The prime minister of the UK is an increasingly hot pot of boiling water. And we're expecting, is it a record number? A bumper crop of elections around the world. Check our political risk team are monitoring about 40 elections that we are anticipating across the course of 2022. These are elections of various kinds, and they will involve varying amounts of turbulence, instability, and associated risk for business. But even in environments where political risk is low, there is always the chance for surprises, and there is always a need to understand what the implications of those elections are going to be for business. Perhaps one of the biggest surprises, Claudine, is that Germany pulled it off. Germany had a remarkable and unexpectedly smooth political transition. And today, in one of the most tense geopolitical environments that we've felt for years, we're going to be talking about the year to come in the world's fourth largest economy. What is remarkable about the Merkel era, and I also have to say I spent most of it outside Germany, was how Germany's perception internationally changed. This is something that hasn't been appreciated as much in Germany, where she for quite some time became or was a divisive figure until I think her reputation greatly recovered during the pandemic. She has greatly enhanced Germany's reputation by providing clear leadership, by showing pragmatism, by promoting compromise. And I think this is probably also a legacy of hers that the new government probably also wants to keep alive. That was Florian Otto, a director in our political risk practice based in our office in Frankfurt. Why are we talking about the new German government now, many weeks after the election has actually concluded? You could almost say because the, the coalition formation was so boring and normal that it took us some time to actually gather our thoughts and have something interesting to say. No, but you know, more, <laughs> more seriously, I think um, we, we want to wait a little bit until the dust has settled. We have come out of the 16-year Merkel era, and we felt we should let time pass a little bit and also let the, the new government get into place, settle down a little bit before we take stock for the first time. And apart from that, I mean, I guess talking about Germany with the new government after 16 years of Merkel is, is, is relevant because it is the EU's largest economy. It's the world's fourth largest economy in Europe, but also I think globally. For the past several years, it has been perceived as an anchor of stability. And at the European level, Merkel increasingly post the Eurozone crisis played the role of a broker between member states with different preferences. So one key question going forward is whether the new chancellor, Scholz, can also assume this role. And yeah, how Germany under a new government, a completely new government, one that hasn't ruled at the federal level in this combination, 
will conduct itself both domestically and at the international level. There was a quote I saw that one of the German Green parliamentarians had described the outcome of the election as very German continuity and change at the same time, which I thought was a really lovely way of summing up where we got to after the election. And and there was something quite reassuring and is something quite reassuring about the way that the new multi-party coalition has been formed relatively smoothly in the wake of much concern about what kind of Germany we would all be looking at in this new era. I think everyone was pleasantly surprised by the outcome of this election and what happened afterwards. One of those nagging questions in developed economies, whether the political center will hold, can be answered in Germany's case with an emphatic yes, the center held. And although we've seen you know, shifts in support for parties, centrist parties even improved in terms of the vote share relative to the last election. So certainly good news in that sense. And I think that's the consensus and stability bit that you refer to. The election also had the outcome that about a quarter of the electorate voted for parties, specifically, or more than a quarter, the the Greens and the, the Free Democratic Party, the Liberals in Germany, that were campaigning with an agenda of transformation. And I guess, you know, if you would want it to put it more pointedly than the quote you gave, and what we have in essence is the German version of cakeism. That is, the electorate <laughs> voted for a major economic and social transformation, but ideally without incurring any financial pain and having too much political conflict at the same time. Of course, that makes perfect sense. There's only one way to do that, and that is to sort of <laughs> overhaul your economy and not feel any of the side effects. I just want to post a note to this podcast, and that is that at some point in the course of the podcast, please let us know what Angela Merkel is up to. Her farewell was one of the most prolonged and emotional political transitions that I think I've witnessed in the past several decades. And and I was there for every single social media post of her sort of getting weepy with Emmanuel Macron and her watching the marching band sort of march her out of office. Let us know that she's well and, and what she's up to. Also, tell us a little bit about Olaf Scholz, her successor. When it comes to elections and transitions, often you hear talk of things like honeymoon periods, where everybody takes it a little bit easy on the new leader. Is there any time for a honeymoon period in Germany? It is still in the midst of a domestic public health crisis. It remains a geopolitical fulcrum. At the moment, it is now also the focus of Europe's attention on energy policy. Is there any breathing space? Will Olaf Scholz have any cake of his own? I think the new coalition created a honeymoon period for itself by just conducting itself during the coalition negotiations in a rather outstanding way. And I think Claudine mentioned it earlier, it was not only a relatively smooth transition, it was an extraordinarily smooth transition, right? There were no leaks during the coalition talks. They concluded sooner than a lot of people expected, which is noteworthy because on some policy areas, the three coalition partners were actually quite far apart. But, but they managed to establish consensus and trust from the outset. And I think this is something that we can also see in the polling numbers, which have been very stable, that the electorate is giving them credit for that. That we effectively had one government that I think by international standards has been considered as pretty grown up handing over to the next one. And, and that, has, that has bought this, this government some credit. Now, as far as Olaf Scholz is concerned, and I think that has helped in part, he presented himself as the sort of natural Merkel successor, even by imitating some of her gestures. And maybe for our listeners, for context, 
Scholz is a social democrat. He is from the center of the Social Democratic Party. Fiscally, he is more conservative than the mainstream of his party. He served as um, finance minister for the past four years and as vice chancellor. And I think that is very important. So he has worked very closely with Merkel. Although he's a seasoned political operative, someone who has you know, his own ambition for power, otherwise you don't end up in this position, they developed a very trusted relationship. And I think it is quite telling that Merkel even introduced himself at the international level as her successor once it became clear that he had won the election. So he is, for Germany's international partner, a relatively well-known quantity. And he is widely considered as the guardian of the political status quo in many policy fields, including foreign policy, but also to some extent energy policy. That said, he presides over a coalition that has given itself the objective to transform Germany over the next four years. So yes, there's a honeymoon period, but I think we will also see that change once spring returns to the Northern Hemisphere, when the government starts to present its first major policy packages and will go about implementing them. What do we expect to be in those policy packages, Florian? First and foremost, one will concern the decarbonization of the German economy. The current government has, in a way, inherited a lot of problems in that regard. So rhetorically, Germany has long been at the forefront of advocating the green transition, not only domestically, but also internationally, but has actually fallen short in meeting its targets. So in 2020, the climate targets were only met due to the pandemic and you know, just about didn't get as much attention because the, the pandemic was the more pressing matter. But the new economy minister from the Greens already announced that Germany would likely miss its climate targets in 2022 and 2023. So they are working on a major climate package, which is supposed to go through the complete legislative process this year. So it can be implemented from next year. The other major policy issue that is clearly still out there, I mean, we, we can't get around it. It, it is the pandemic. Compared with other developed economies, Germany has come through the pandemic reasonably well, not least because it could draw on you know, pretty unparalleled fiscal firepower to cushion the blow and deploy tried and tested instruments to keep people in work, even though they had to spend time at home or were furloughed. But you know, the key question is, how will Germany come out of this pandemic? It pursued a course that involved rather more restrictions than less. And the issues we're observing in other European countries or in other countries around the world around restriction fatigue and also concerns about the medium and long-term impacts of the pandemic will move center stage as, as the year progresses. And I guess one key challenge for the government will be whether they can actually agree a vaccine mandate. Political consensus has shifted towards this way, but there is now an intense debate about you know, how to actually legislate on this. And then probably the more pressing matter will be how will you actually implement it? And can you implement a vaccine mandate? This will probably be one of the most significant challenges in the short term domestically, because even though Germany internationally has managed the, the pandemic relatively well, domestically, the perception is that the response of the government, both at the federal and at the state level, wasn't great. The new administration will really have to show that they have learned from some of the mistakes made so far during the pandemic. Florian, another area where international and domestic perceptions diverge when it comes to Germany is the state of digitalization 
in Germany. You know, the pandemic revealed some of the country's shortcomings on that front. And anyone who is a periodic visitor to Germany will probably actually be shocked by the number of dead spots in mobile phone connections and in Wi-Fi hookups. And, you know, what happens when you get on a train or on, on a domestic flight. Florian, catch us up a little bit on how digitalization is progressing. Well, let me start with a positive message there. The, the pandemic has forced Germany into a crash digitalization, particularly you know, in, in the private sector, where companies were just forced to ramp up digitalization drives and enable people to work from home. That's the positive side. I think a lot of adaptation has happened in the private sector now. And Chuck, you you alluded to it, and I think you know you you described it. Unfortunately, very adequately, Germany's public digital infrastructure is not worthy of a country as wealthy, and you would also say, um, you know, technologically competent as Germany. And I think what is probably even worse than a very slow expansion in the digital infrastructure in the country is that Germany's public administration is still very paper-based. It's hard to believe. And I think what was shocking during the pandemic, and I think this is what the pandemic revealed, was Germany in part lacked timely, adequate data on public health issues because some of this was actually still transmitted via fax machines. Again, the positive news is that the pandemic has put this so much center stage that now there is actually momentum building to invest heavily in that area. And and I think that's the other important thing to note, the Free Democratic Party campaigned heavily on that subject. And they have credibility there because they have been going on about Germany's shortcomings in the digital sphere for years now. And interestingly, they were more successful with first-time voters than the Greens, despite the climate emergency being so high up on the agenda of voters. So, so it tells you that there is very strong demand for Germany to actually get its act together. We anticipate that the government will try to sort of incentivize the digitalization and also the, the creation of the relevant infrastructure over the next years. We're waiting on specific proposals how this is supposed to happen. We'll return to our conversation with Florian Otto in just a moment. But if you're interested in learning more about Germany and about political risk and geopolitical risk and the operating environment on the ground in the coming year, follow the link to Florian's profile in our podcast notes. And to find out how other experts at Control Risks can help your organization manage risks associated with energy transition, geopolitics, digitalization, and more, go to our website, controlrisks.com. And now, back to our conversation with Florian. Florian, we want to move on soon to discuss more broadly the business environment in Germany and what it means for companies that are investing there and doing business there. But before we do that, we should probably acknowledge that we're recording this podcast at one of the tensest moments geopolitically in Europe in recent memory. And Germany is very much at the center of this discussion in terms of its relationship with Russia and in terms of Nord Stream 2, the pipeline that will bring Russian gas directly to Germany, bypassing Ukraine that is finished, but not yet approved and operational. Florian, where is Germany right now in its foreign policy on this issue? And is it a stabilizing force or is there still a risk of greater destabilization? You know, Germany is in this 
permanent identity crisis as far as foreign and defense policy is concerned, right? The history still weighs heavily on the shoulder of every German government. And particularly when it comes to its relationship with Russia, those who have followed the meeting between the, the new German foreign minister Baerbock and Lavrov, it started out by Baerbock also emphasizing Germany's responsibility and awareness of the history that the two countries have. By default, Germany struggles to take a very robust approach unless it is absolutely forced to do so. And I think we, we saw that it is possible after the invasion of eastern Ukraine and annexation of Crimea in 2014, where Merkel actually rallied the EU and was instrumental in keeping a united front vis-a-vis -vis Russia. But this is now, I don't want to say crumbling, but we certainly have different forces within the government. And the Social Democrats historically are very invested in engaging with Russia. There is a preference for constructive dialogue, although I should add, it always requires two to have a dialogue and there needs to be a shared objective in making this constructive. And I think this is to some extent pointing to the Achilles heel in Germany's foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis Russia at the moment, that it's doubtful that the Russian government wants to reciprocate in that regard. And then you have the Greens and the Liberals in the government who are advocating a much more value-based and robust foreign policy and who would rather stop Nord Stream 2 completely instead of you know, declaring it to be a purely commercial exercise, which is the position of the current government and of the previous one, which clearly you know, clashes with reality to some extent. One last thought on this. Germany has a massive problem in terms of being dependent on Russian gas deliveries, not just now, but also going forward. With the energy transition towards a green economy, also now focusing on gas as the key transition fuel, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. Florian, what is the public mood with respect to Russia and foreign policy more generally? Was foreign policy something that played into people's voting preferences? Not really. It is something that probably motivates voters of the Greens more than others, but as in, in most countries, foreign policy isn't at the top of the agenda, particularly now that the public is focused on the pandemic, its longer term impacts, living standards and living costs are also coming into focus at the moment. Foreign policy is not an issue that will engineer a lot of sort of, you know, public interest unless we enter a full blown crisis. Florian, let's move on to talk a little bit about the kind of business environment investors in Germany are going to find on the ground in 2022. Let's talk, if we can, perhaps about two issues. One that a lot of governments are struggling with right now, and that is the cost of energy and generally speaking, inflation, which is uppermost in the minds of the public, for example, in the United States. Here in the UK, inflation figures were just released this morning, and the inflation rate is 5.4%, which is the highest that it's been in 30 years. What's the situation with the cost of doing business and the cost of living in Germany? And then secondly, what's your outlook for the coming year on regulatory and policy stability and predictability? You know, Germany, and, and this... This hasn't changed and this won't change. Isn't a low cost country for business, but it isn't as much of an issue anymore because due to the reforms that were carried out by now almost 20 years ago, I think 
they have struck a really good balance between the value that the German broader business environment provides and the costs. So that is balanced. But you're right. Energy costs for quite a long time in Germany have been a concern for business. So Germany has among the highest electricity costs in Europe. And despite you know various ways for businesses to decrease these or also, I don't want to call them subsidies, but you know options the government gives businesses to balance these costs, they are high. They have been high for a long time. And now due to the, the broader environment, they are getting even higher. So that adds to the cost base. As far as inflation is concerned, you're absolutely right. Inflation in Germany is also around 5%, similar to, to what we're seeing in the US and the UK. Interestingly, the issue hasn't generated as much of a backlash as I think most analysts would have expected in a country that is historically wary of inflation or particularly sensitive to it. But I think this is one of the issues that will become a lot more prominent once moving out of the pandemic into a situation where COVID-19 has become something that's endemic. There's clearly trouble in store for the government as far as that's concerned. And again, this will, um, to some extent, add cost to business going forward. The Social Democrats pledged during the election campaign that they would hike the minimum wage from something that is at the moment a little lower than 11 euros to 12 euros. And they said it would be a one-time adjustment. After that adjustment, it would go back to a commission consisting of various actors from the trade union and employer side that will set the minimum wage. That will cushion to some extent the hike in living costs, but it will also exert upward pressure on wage negotiations in general. The German model of consensually negotiating wages has proven quite robust. So the jury is still out, but companies in Germany will have to plan with higher staff costs. As far as regulatory stability or also the transparency of the regulatory process is concerned, I mean, the latter will, will, will surely continue to be very transparent. It is usually highly consultative. So businesses are not blindsided and can depend on a lot of engagement and, and actually having foresight of what's coming. In some areas, particularly around decarbonization of the economy, but also you know, potentially digitalization, we're going to see more disruption. We're going to see more change because otherwise you're not implementing a transformative agenda. Florian, don't those same processes and trends, while they're disrupted, don't they also create opportunities for business as well? Oh, absolutely. First of all, renewables expansion. Renewables are supposed to provide 80% of Germany's energy by 2030. There has to be rapid expansion and growth in that area, and the government will incentivize it highly. And I guess, you know, we'll have to sort of see what specifically is going to be done and how quickly they will get around the obstacles that are there. But the first package of measures is supposed to be voted on in cabinet in April, and it is likely to include things around making more areas available for onshore renewables generation, increasing renewables capacity that will go out for tender on a regular basis, and above all, removing planning and administrative obstacles, which are very significant in Germany. And in Germany, you also have, at the moment, the clash between environmental conservation and actually expanding renewables fast enough onshore to, to meet energy needs. And you know, may, maybe it requires actually a green government that on the one hand has credibility to solve these dilemmas, and at the same time also maybe the resolve to irritate part of its own electorate to actually push this transformation and you know, once and for all enable companies to invest with confidence in Germany's renewable energy sector. Florian, you're an expert on Germany. You're also an expert on risk. 
Give us a bit of an insight into how German companies are grappling with managing risk. We are actually seeing that this is changing. I've been with Contraris for a bit more than three years now, and the change over the past 12 months has been absolutely remarkable in terms of the demand we're experiencing in this particular market. The first thing we're seeing is a lot more interest in, in what we call program consulting, that is working with companies to develop their internal processes and measures to deal with certain risks. What we're seeing at the moment is a lot of interest in developing integrated risk mapping and assessment methodologies. There is a desire to develop more methodical approaches to identifying, evaluating, and managing risks. It's likely to be partly learning from the pandemic, which in the beginning of 2020 caught out a lot of German companies, as anywhere else in the world. Pandemic probably featured somewhere in the risk register, but, but no one had actually cared to work through this, what this would mean in practice. So there's, there's learning there, which is good. But this interest is also due to changes in, in the geopolitical environment, which by now is actually at the top of the agenda of a lot of German businesses. You know, I really want to emphasize what Florian's saying, kind of based on my own experience in working with German companies, particularly investing in Eastern Europe and in Russia. It has long been my impression that large German companies had a fairly voracious appetite for risk. And to hear that that's changing is a tectonic change. It really is, Chuck. And the, the appetite probably hasn't decreased, but there is a sense that you, you want more robust processes, also you know, keeping this appetite in check so that ultimately companies don't bite off more that they can chew. It's probably also worth mentioning for our listeners that, you know, I mean, Germany and, and German businesses, the global champions, right, as the name says, are global. They, they operate in dozens of countries. They are often market leaders and they are heavily invested in globalization as we know it. And so are the, the medium-sized international companies you've never heard about, but who you've probably come in close contact with because they are in the appliances in your household, parts in your cars, who are highly dependent on an open global economy because most of their business happens outside Germany. Florian, there's a significant lesson here in a remark you made just a moment ago. There's a significant lesson for companies far beyond Germany and for companies around the world that feel that risk-taking is essential to their business, and that is to be successful in an increasingly complex world, you don't need to scale back your appetite for risk. You can have a robust appetite for risk, but at the same time, that has got to be matched by a robust system for identifying, managing, and mitigating those risks. There's no need to become timid as a result of what's happening around the world. You can still chew up the scenery if you want, but you're just going to have to do it in a way that Bit of belts and braces, yeah? Absolutely. And you know, this is what we are enabling companies to do. We help them understand the changing and complex environment and also help them to think about options, how to adjust and potentially, you know, even in the most extreme case, adapt their business model, their internal structures and processes to be ahead of the curve and not getting caught out by events. And this is something that we're seeing increased demand for here in Germany. It results in highly complex, but also fulfilling projects on, on this side. The other issue that clearly is still 
of unbroken relevance for German companies is also, you know, how to deal with the green transition, how to come up with the appropriate responses to a more activist society and also environmental activism. One last note on what we're working with businesses on, and this is probably something that gives us some encouragement in the state of German digitalization. We can see that there are massive investments in digital infrastructure in Germany above all data centers. And this is an area where we expect continued growth and where we will continue to support our clients. I'm thinking about Angela Merkel as we speak. I'm already missing her. Chuck prompted you at the beginning, Florian, to please tell us at some point during this podcast what she's doing. I don't think that she will, and this is not me talking as an analyst, but it's more of a personal observation from what we know about her. She is unlikely to seek a return to public life. What we are probably very certain of is that she is not going to interject in public debates or seek public attention again, because it's unlikely to be compatible with her sense of public service, which I think, you know, she was a rather outstanding example in her leadership generation. Florian, thank you. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Really grateful to you for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. Florian, you're in my Angela Merkel Memoirs book club. (laughs) We'll set that up as soon as they're out. That's all for this episode of The Global Insight. Stay tuned with new episodes of The Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Legal and Compliance Insights, a monthly podcast that gives you a window onto the legal and compliance issues our experts are facing around the world. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping build secure, compliant, and resilient businesses by visiting controlrisks.com. The Global Insight is produced by Sam Tornio and Vicky Bufton. For me, thanks for listening and bye for now. And... Goodbye from me.